thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain cultures that we explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies forever, for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Today's episode is about the legacy of Horace Kephart, co-founder of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and how that helps outdoor life today. But first, some news. Guess what? The National Park begins to reopening May 9th. Um, it will be opening a lot of services uh, next week, and it's following the guidelines from the federal government and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So all the roads and trails will be open, and over the next couple weeks after that, the campgrounds, picnic pavilions, visitor centers, and the secondary roads will start uh, being phased in. Uh, there'll be new safety measures, uh, new ways to disinfect yourself, and fogging operations, but it looks great. Also, vehicle-free Wednesdays are starting again on Cades Cove Loop Road. That's the, one of the most popular K, uh, roads in the Smokies, um, and, uh, and it'll be May 5th or September 1st, um, and it's for basically people to walk and, and ride on the roads to see a lot and experience a lot of uh, the roadside stuff that you can see um, in, this, uh, in this area and to have a camping experience uh, from the, uh, with, the, with very little parking and, uh, and, 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 and fun times. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think this is the second year they might be doing it. Third year, um, so I'm pretty happy about that. You can call for more information eight six five four four eight nine zero three four. So my guest today is Libby Kephart Hargrave, and she is an accomplished musician, vocalist, and composer. For seventeen years, she performed the national anthem for the United States Blue Angels flight demonstration team. Her primary feature. Her primary focus in recent years has been perpetuating the legacy of her great-grandfather, Horace Kephart, who was a legendary explorer, writer, naturalist, naturalist, and co-founder of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. How are you doing, Libby? I'm doing great. It's wonderful to be seeing you. I'm in Pensacola, Florida. That's great. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. You have some beautiful scenery behind you. You have what, two paintings there? One painting, one photograph. The one over here is Kep's boots, which I used in the movie, which we'll talk about in a little while. My younger sister, Joanne Kephart Bleichner, is the artist. And then this is one of a very famous photograph by George Massa of um, Kephart on Whiteside Mountain. Well, they're they're beautiful, and then uh, you have a background too of the mountains. It's it's really it's pretty stunning background that you got there. So you know, it sounds like you have an interesting uh, music career. Can you tell me a little bit about that? a little because I'm, I'm, I don't talk about myself a whole lot. Uh, <laughs> I went to Goucher College in Towson, Maryland with a degree in theater and minored in music and dance and spent a lot of years um, in the professional world of theater, doing a lot of touring, um, directing, choreographing and being on stage and a lot of singing. Um, and then I got married at age 35 and then we ended up down here in Pensacola. So um, Life's journeys take us where we are, and I do my best down here to stay as involved professionally. I've done some directing up in Chicago. 
um, and singing for the blues and for a lot of military events. But the blues are like, it doesn't get better than a crowd of 85,000 people standing silent with their hand over their heart. Um, that's a pretty cool gig. That's a pretty cool gig. Well, you know, I, I, I'm wondering, you've done a lot of different programs and videos honoring Horace and also your great uncle Leonard. Have you any written any songs about them? Well, I would like to start tonight. Um, there's a, mo- a song in the, sh- in the movie that I did. And we also did it in the play I wrote about him. I'll just do do the first verse, if that's okay. Sure, that'd be great. Kind of opens up a little bit of why Kephart ended up in the Smokies, and it's called Broken Man. He came here a broken man, searching for his way. Seeking his back up beyond a place of refuge for his soul. Wow, that was nice. Does that have a little bit of um, ballad, uh, 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 ballad music in there? I mean, that was one of the original Smoky Mountain, uh, one of the imports from Scotch-Irish culture. Correct. And we have a lot of Scots in our family, so I guess it's in my blood. <laughs> All right, cool. It's very, it's the, what is that, that haunting, lonesome sound, right? Yeah. That was very beautiful. Thank so he, he, um, he came to the mountains of Broken Man? He had, yes. And he had, um, he was one of the, the, back in the day, in the late, late 1800s, he was one of the country's most um, highly respected librarians. And he ended up at the Mercantile Library in St. Louis. Um, he worked tirelessly to improve that library and became one of the greatest collections of Western books. Um, but it was it was taxing for him. And you can imagine back back then when you have six kids, well, he didn't have six kids at that point, but you have a family and you have all these responsibilities. Then I am one to believe that when this tornado, there was a horrible cyclone that went through St. Louis when he was living there. Um, on his way home, he wanted to get home to the family. And he gets caught on the street in this horrible cyclone. And at one point, he's holding on to a lamppost. And imagine this, Joseph. You're holding on to a lamppost, and there's a young boy. You grab that young boy's hand, trying to save his life. And then the boy's just sucked loose up into the cyclone. Oh, wow. When he gets home, he's covered head to toe with mud. The kid, nobody recognized him when he first got home. But, you know, we all have a tipping point, and I say this when I give Kephart programs. Every single one of us has a, a tipping point. We don't know what it is. And his sister died. He has his cyclone. I don't know exactly what his tipping point was, but he wrote um, a suicide letter. It was a brilliant suicide letter. Um, but fortunately, he was stopped. And I, I kiddingly always say that I don't think he would have jumped off this the Eats Bridge in St. Louis because he was such a perfectionist and editor that he would have gone, oops, I forgot to dot an I or cross a T or put in a semicolon. <laughs> you know, <laughs> getting aside, um, there was it was a police officer who saved him. And his parents went and got him. His wife had already left him at that point. But he ended up in the smoking and that was his place to heal. And we thank God for that. Yeah. Did he get ever did he get back with his family or was it was it uh a permanent uh, separation. That's a whole other story. Okay. <laughs> um, they never legally separated or divorced. They stayed in mm-hmm. touch. And Kephart was um, coming up with recipes or, or designs for tents. He would send 
Laura, who had moved back to Ithaca, New York, to be with her family, he would send her patterns for tents, and she would sew them. She would, he, he would send recipes, and she would cook them up. They corresponded, and the kids corresponded with him. It wasn't a perfect arrangement, but it was, it was as good as they could have it. And all the kids grew up just fine. Laura was a magnificent wife. Um, they did see each other a couple of times, and they tried to reconcile at one point. But his, he started drinking again, and ended up back, going back to the Smokies. Okay. Wow. So he, he was sort of, um, a, 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 there's a mixed heritage in his legacy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of historical character people are, have, have that kind of mixed legacy. Yeah. He wasn't a. Um, he didn't drink every day. He was a binge drinker. So when he drank, he really, really drank. But he could go six months perfectly sober. I see. Something would happen and just set him set him off and. That's not. That's, that's, I don't want to say say this, but it could be that Scotch Irish heritage. <laughs> 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 it could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've uh, yeah, I've had some people in my family. I'm I'm a I'm a two beer a day guy myself. But uh, <laughs> oh, so you have spent a good deal of your life now researching your uh, your great your great grandfather. And aside from the obviously uh, obvious family connection, why is he important to you? Well, I'll start with what my grandfather taught me, and then kind of going back to the family. <clears throat> my grandfather was their fifth child. His name was George Stebbins Kephart, and he took, fortunately, my sisters and, and, and me down to the Smokies. I, I think the first trip I was 10 years old. Um, but he instilled in us at a very young age, Joseph, that we stand on the shoulders of those who went before us. And it, it's a responsibility that I've gladly taken on. Um, mm-hmm. When he got old, he said to me at one point, getting tired and I'm running out of time and I promised him that at some point I would take it on again and and hopefully complete his work with this with the same respect that he's put into it but Cap saved was one of the greatest voices to save those mountains he saw the lumbermen just destroying the, the mountains that that had saved his life and I and to me that's just an amazing part of his story and that he also found his way back he's a great I don't know if role model is the best term, but I'm going to use it. A great role model for anybody who has lost their way and mm-hmm. is trying to find their way back into the world. It doesn't have to be leaving your family and going to the Smokies, but it's finding a back of beyond, a place of refuge where you can find some peace within yourself. Um, and today, you know, he, he never saw a psychiatrist after he left St. Louis. He just found it in himself, the strength and the courage with the love of his parents, his father was an amazing person, and his family. Mm-hmm. That we can all learn from that um, beyond. Yeah, you know, um, I had a, I had a, my wife of twenty years uh, died in two thousand fourteen, and you know, I had to go back to the mountains for a little while to uh, to find some sort of centering. You know, I'm, I have a very active mind, and I have to be in a place that's always busy but there's times when I just need to be somewhere there's absolute peace to be able to find a, uh, that that rock that place to stand on and I understand that um, back to his cabin site off of Hazel Creek I think I've been there four or five times in my life it's a little bit of a trek to get there and the older I get the less I'm going to go but um, but when you're at his cabin site it is so peaceful and you can understand what drew him to this particular spot. The cabin's not no longer there, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you just sit there and you feel his spirit. You feel this centering within you like you were talking about. 
and you find breathing space. And a lot yeah. of us don't have breathing space anymore. No, uh, the the mountains is definitely a destination. I think I read a poem about that. The you know, you know, last a couple of weeks ago that, that it's a destination to come to center, find peace, and uh, and find you know um, a, a, a freshness. Um, so um, you know, I would uh, when we come back, I think that we will um, talk more about what uh, you really understand and are impressed about Horace and uh, and uh, his accomplishments. That sounds great. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smoky Podcast with my guest, Libby Kephart Hargrave. So, Libby, um, you mentioned George Massa. You have a picture behind you done by him. Did Horace and uh, George have a, a good working relationship? What kind, I, I know George was one of the, also the uh, in, instrumental in helping uh, get publicity for building you know, the national park. I would say they did. You had these two unlikely souls. I mean, the age difference was huge between them. And you have this wonderful, gentle soul from Japan. You have Kephart, who was, you know, traveled. and uh, But they worked tirelessly, and they worked really well together. They were the best of friends. And when Kephart died, it broke Mass's heart tremendously. But what they, what they were able to do as a team was unbelievable. Massa writes that he used to carry... 100 pounds of equipment and he weighed 100 pounds and he would wait <laughs> for a perfect shot you know nothing like our you know nothing like this phone i can go and take a perfect you know sunset it was shot in the mountains but just to care and to wait and wait and wait and that's where we get photographs like that oh that, that's a, that's a that's an iconic photo so I, I i it's you know it's known everywhere i think um so what do you find most impressive about Horace, and how would you like him to be remembered? Hmm. He is one who still to this day is one of the greatest teachers of the outdoor world, with his writings, especially camping woodcraft, like the Bible of camping. Some of the, the things he wrote about are outdated, but the concepts are very much still important and quite valid. But he's one of the greatest teachers of outdoor um, woodcraft and camping. Um, he encourages us to this day to get out there. Don't be afraid to go for a hike. Don't be afraid to set up your tent. Don't be afraid if you know if you burn the bacon over the campfire. It's still bacon cooked over the campfire, right? <laughs> burnt marshmallows taste really good. <laughs> I like mine burnt. <laughs> he'll teach thousands and thousands and thousands of people a year. And um, I have a Kephart website, horsekephart.com. And a lot of the people that we get visiting are from Japan. Mm-hmm. A lot of people from Sweden on the website, but um, but he still teaches us to get outside, to live your dream, to if you want to write, go ahead and write, um, just to, to do what you to live as best the best life that you possibly can with whatever limitations we have, mm-hmm. to live the best that you can live. And how do you think? Um, what do you think was his most influence on getting the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in, in, into creation? Number one, passion. Mm-hmm. for saving the land, but he was probably one of the greatest writers for saving the land. He did, did take a trip into Washington, up to Washington, D.C. I think he borrowed a suit, perhaps, to do this trip, <laughs> <laughs> to testify in front of Congress. Um, mm-hmm. Great, great voice, because he was so well-educated. 
um, that he knew how to express what the politicians needed to hear. So he was, he was, not, he was not only a writer, he, was, he actually took action. He was an advocate as well. And yeah. all those trees coming down, he's like, mm, mm. can't let this happen. He just, and he just, in his own way, his own quiet way, he was a very quiet man. Um, but when he was passionate about something, he went to work on it. Now, you helped uh, get a book of his published in the last few years, right? That was hadn't been published ever? Was that also? All right. <laughs> this is called Smoky Mountain Magic. This is my paperback. It's in hardback and paperback. Um, my father gave me the uh, manuscript, which mm -hmm. was given to him by his father. And it, the, kind of the trail goes on. And um, a long story short, um, I met with Dale Dittmanson, who was the uh, he's now retired as superintendent of the park. This was back in 2009, I think. And he introduced me to um, Great Smoky Mountains Association, Steve Kemp and, and Terry. Um, sorry, Terry, I can't remember his last name. But within imagine this, Joseph, within four months, this book, which had not been published since he kept right finished it like in 1929, within four months, it's on the shelves at the Great Smoky Mountains Association visitor centers. And I, all the profit goes to the Great Smoky Mountains Association. And I did that purposefully because these are Kephart's words. They're not mine. Mm -hmm. It's about the mountains that saved his life. So the money goes back and, and it profits the park. And it's actually a novel, right? Yes, it's a, it's a love story, which is kind of ironic that Kephart wrote a love story. Yeah. But it's a really, really fun book. And for the association to publish it and not change one word in it is pretty unbelievable. That's pretty unbelievable. So you didn't, there was no editor? It was just went straight from the... Well, the there was slight editing, right? Yeah. Slight editing. But basically, it went from what I gave them to this. Wow. In four months. Cool. Yeah. So, talk about things going on. You originated an annual event called Horace Kepper Days to celebrate his life and legacy. It's usually held in, I think, Bryson City or the surrounding area, all right? And when, when did it start? It started with a very a very small Kepper Days in 2008 at the Calhoun, historic Calhoun Inn in Bryson City. And then in 2009, it took off, and we had, we've held it in Bryson City and Brevard and a couple other places, but we've, I've kind of, I've, haven't done this in a couple of years, but we're going to bring it back, hopefully, to your place. All right. That's what I really like to do. Uh, I think it's important to move Kephart around. As much as I love Bryson City, um, we need to move him to different locations. Um, yeah. And he was primarily on the North Carolina side, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, correct. So we're, and we're the plan is to do something small, hopefully, this summer, and then to have a Kephart Days in the spring. We can bring the classic campers. They're called the Acorn patrol and they camp kept part dress kept part they're authentic campers to um your location and we'll just do and, and it's a fun 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 event um so that's the plan to bring all it right back. cool and you have and, and the campers and you have other activities and what kind of speakers do you usually get well over the years i i've had to make a list because we've had so many wonderful people um the speakers we've had in the past have been george ellison great writer george frizzell janet wow. McHugh, dale stewart David Westcott, who's one of the, a great outdoors person, Joshua Native Kirk, who's now a mountain man, Preston Roberts, um, great outdoor man, he's since passed, Alan Kay, Joe Flowers, who works with Condor Knives, um, family members. We've had Jeff Kephart, my cousin, my niece, Brian Coons, has spoken, um, Kep's grandson, my uncle, Horace Kephart, who went by Uncle Kep, and many other wonderful speakers. 
um, in um, Steve Elephant. So it's just it's we try to get people who are um, and um, passionate about Kephart who understand what he did and what needs to be done to continue the legacy. And Bob Plot has been a speaker. Yeah. I think that I, I think that people um, who are outside the area don't necessarily realize that the Great Smoky Mountains area has a deep literary history. You know, ranging from the mountain writers to the southern writers in Asheville. You know, I think that uh, 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 literary traditions and uh, it goes hand in hand with the the other things that people more known about, which is the music and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you, uh, but we also have great outdoor life, and I understand that you. Uh, one thing I, I think I read is that you used to, you used to camp in the uh, Cherokee area when you were a kid. Well, um, we camped up in, um, we camped way back, but this has been, you could camp without having to make reservations. Right, camp. yeah. We've camped near the cabin site. We've, um, we've done a lot of camping there and backpacking. One of my sisters and I were out for like four nights, got chased by a bear, and um, then another sister and a couple of brother-in-laws and my dad and um, and I were out for about five days with um, a, a gentleman from Western Carolina University who took us to all these Kephart places. But I've done a lot of, more hiking than camping. Well, I was going to say, I, you know, growing up in the mountains, I used to go, my well, that was the annual thing to do is go to Cherokee and do some camping, yeah. you know, and do some trout fishing, things like that. It's uh, it's still a wonderful experience. Yeah. The Deep Creek hike, um, that's outside of Bryson City, but it's part of the park. Hike up to Bryson Place where Kephart lived, and quite a bit of Smoky Mountain magic takes place there. Is that some of the hikes that you lead? I don't lead hikes because I live in Florida and I'm a flatlander. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and some I don't know why people think because my name last my maiden name is Kephart that I can just up the mountains, but I can't. So Butch McDade, who was your guest last week, is one and was one of those gracious hikers because he'll hang. I'm kind of at the back of the trail. All right. But so you I, provide color. You provide color commentary. He I provides do. the play. He provides the play by play. <laughs> there were times where I could zoom up the mountain, but being a flatlander, I have to. I'm nah. Yeah. Cool. Then, you know, climb Mount Kephart, Charlie's Bunyan, the jump off, and Alum's Cave. It's just so many great places to hike up there. The list. I mean, you can spend a lifetime hiking, as you know. Well, you know that. Um, yeah, we talked about the how it sort of healed Horace. I mean, what do you think are the healing powers of the Great Smoky Mountains? Um, behind me, the colors. Uh huh. Behind you, the the sun. I guess that's a sunset behind yeah. you. Um, and for everybody, it's something different. It may be the sound of the of one of the creeks and one of the rivers going through that they can just sit by there and just close their eyes and listen to the sound. Some people need the visual. You know, we all have different ways of in, of absorbing, whether it's a visual or audio or just touching something up there. Um, there's so many different ways of finding that piece. It's just going on a on one of the oh, the trails that that's a boardwalk trail up there, and one of the mm-hmm. silent walkways. Um, that's one thing the great the Smoky does. The Smokies Park does. It gives everybody, whether you're in a wheelchair, whether you can just zoom up those mountains, everybody has a chance to get out and and breathe that air. Mm-hmm. And the, and the, and it's so crisp. I, you know, I, one of one of the you know when you do when you do acting exercises or you do sort of any kind of exercises, and I've been through a lot of different creativity exercises. They always tell you to think of your happy place, right? And I um, I can remember when I was six or seven years old, laying on the ground underneath some tree and looking at this intense blue sky, 
and realizing at that point, really, at like the very young age, that I was part of some big universe, right? And being able to actually feel that and fill me, and it made me very happy. And I can always remember that 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 crispness of crispness of existence that you feel. Face yeah, uh, says it all. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, for me, where I am in Pensacola, we're right on the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. So I just my place to go right now is I just go to the beach and sit and listen, or go for a beach walk. And so, no matter where we live, even if it's in our backyard, there's places where we can find. Mm-hmm. Some peace. Well, one of the one of the reasons I bought the motel for my parents, the Meadowlark Motel, is is because, you know, we have a great view of just the Smokies, and I love sitting on a rocking chair on the front entrance. And it's not particularly country. I mean, it's very mountainy looking place, but it's on the high, you know it's on the main thoroughfare. But the, I get to look at the mountains and this and a, and a panorama, and it just brings me incredible joy and peace. So I'm going to join you there sometime. Okay. Well, we're going to have the Horace Kemper day there this year, right? Yes. We're going to sit and rock in some chairs and enjoy it. We're going to do that. It looks like we're going to be all open. So we'll do that. Everybody needs to pay attention to the websites. All right. So we come back, we'll figure out, we'll talk more about uh, um, some of the things you've done in, uh, in your research. And there's some exciting stuff, I think. Thank you. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. And my guest, Libby Hart, Kephart Hargrave. Um, and we're talking about Horace Kephart, uh, her great grandfather. So, you and your family have donated many personal artifacts, photos, and documents, and moaned and used by Horace, including things like camping gear, boot, boots, and other items. To Western Carolina University, which has created a, an impressive exhibit. Can you tell us about that and what you treasure most? To be able to have, a, for a family, to have a place like Western Carolina University, where we can, where our great-grandfathers, or grandfather in some cases, belongings are kept safe and they're put on exhibit, is quite extraordinary. His A lot of his letters, I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of pages of letters and documents that he wrote. It is extraordinary that we have this special place. And as a family, we are so grateful to Western Carolina University for this. Um, We have donated many things. Let me tell you a couple of the exciting things that have happened recently. Is um, Laura Matt Kephart, um, Horace's wife, my cousin, um, Holly Ferno Folke, donated Laura's wedding ensemble. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is an oh, wow. So (laughs) (laughs) um, it is extraordinarily beautiful. Um, it, hopefully, um, within the year or next year, we'll have an have an exhibit of Kephart family. But it's it is stunning. And Laura, who I we all love Laura dearly, she had these like maroon color sassy shoes. Imagine back then, <laughs> <laughs> um, and she was a tiny little thing. So, but so that's one of the, the greatest treasures that we have recently donated. But to go there, you can actually see Kep's boots um, at the college. Uh-huh. A couple of other pairs of his shoes. Um, to me, the things that mean the most that have been donated but have been there a very, very long time um, are the boots and then the very, very famous, um, Joseph, the Kephart knife. 
Yeah. It's, it's iconic. And I have one here that was given to me as a gift by Ethan Becker. Um, let me show this to you. And it's, it's so, so beautiful. Wow. Ethan went to Western Carolina and measured this so magnificently. You can see the one at Western, but it's worn down a little bit. So Ethan took into consideration that the knife had been used, and Kephart loved his knife. Was that his camping knife? Camping knife. Here's everything knife. Here's everything knife, right? They're like, it's about, what, eight inches long, 10, in, 10 inches long? I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how long this one is. This might be the eight inch. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, this was a gift that Ethan gave me. Uh, actually, Ethan Becker's grandmother is um, the, uh, the author of The Joy of Cooking. So mm-hmm. he, he's working on protecting that legacy. Like I, can see, I imagine so. <laughs> and then the boots. To me, those are the, there's so many wonderful things like his sleeping bag, his fishing lures, his pipes. I mean, his, his pipes are so stunning. Um, and every, every item has a story um, because he did not, he had an office and then he lived at a boarding house. So everything he kept had to have been very, very special for him. Um, well, wow. can, so can people um, go there and see the exhibit? Is it on all the time? Or no, is it- not on all the time. And now that hopefully we're working out of this COVID stage of, of that we've been in, they'll be able to do a Kephart exhibit. I hope within a year is what we're thinking about. So they would, they'll do like an exhibit maybe every other year, every year or something? Every year. Every and year. It's very, very well attended. And they'll set up a tent, his tent that they have. And um, just to know that he used these items and that they're saved. Oh. Wow. Yeah, it is a wow. I walk in every time. It's like, wow. And um, Dale Stewart, who will be your guest in a couple of weeks, you know, he's held the pipe. He's held the shoes. He's held the boots. And you can ask Dale when he's your guest. It's like one of those moments of wow. Wow. Yeah. You're all beat up, as you can say. Wow. So so the telling the story of Horace, I think we're coming to what I think is an incredible ex- uh, accomplishment for you. You did a documentary film on, on Horace Kephart that featured Ken Burns, a famous documentarian, right? Yeah. Tell us how you managed to do that and who were some of the people in it and where can people watch it, that sort of thing. I mean, I think Ken is very, and his, and Dayton Duncan, Florentine Films, are have a lot of credit for bringing back Kephart when they did the National Parks documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, they highlighted Kephart and Mass, and I, I credit Ken a lot. Um, I, I, a, a long story, but I, I got in touch with Ken about some photographs that I had, was given, I was given, um, which were not unfortunately available when he did his film. And then he said to me, and it's always a caution, a, a good thing to say to me, but you have to be careful when you say it. He said, if I can ever do anything to help you. <laughs> 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 so when I did the play about Kephart for celebrating his 150th birthday, I was writing the play. And so I contacted Ken. I said, do you remember? <laughs> and he did. And, and he, to this day, will say, if I can ever help you with a Kephart project. Um, so he graciously never charged me a penny. He used his own studio to doing a voiceover for the play. And then I contacted him again. I said, you remember, Ken, when you said, and he jokingly said yes. And so he filmed some stuff for the play. Um, and so did Dayton Duncan and Susan Shoemaker. I've never met Ken. We've talked. We correspond via email and texting. He is just a gracious, gracious man, professional in every which way. And it's been nothing but an absolute joy. He complimented me greatly on the documentary film, which means a lot. He didn't have to <laughs> compliment me and, and thank me for pre- helping preserve the legacy of Horace Kephart. Um, 
I did my best to tell it from a family point of view, but also from a point of view as a historian, because both are, are equally important. Um, everybody has flaws. I could, you know, we can talk about his flaws, but what good is that? You know, I mentioned them, but, you know, that's yeah. just harbor on. Um, but I'm not, I'd like to quote, <clears throat> this also is available online through, you can go to the Kephart website and it'll link you to the Great Smoky Mountains Association. But once again, everything goes to the Smokies. Um, but Ken does a quote at the end of the movie, and he says, I think we owe the Great Smoky Mountains to Horace Kephart and his understanding of the healing power of wilderness. And then he goes, and then he said, bam. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Dayton Duncan, who I think has recently retired, and once again, he's just equally as gracious as Ken mm-hmm. in giving of their time. He goes, Horace Kephart was a man who found in the Great Smokies this refuge from a life that he was running from. So here are these two great filmmakers who embraced Horace Kephart for their film, but they also embraced him for my film. And um, I'm, I'm proud of this, this project. It took a long time. I worked with Ian Skelly, who's a filmmaker here in Pensacola. He lives like, around the, almost around the corner, so it was really easy to do the editing here. Um, I worked at... Um, Lucky Kelson's studio here, worked at a studio up in North Carolina. There was a great, um, great team that helped put this together. Um, and when, when did it, uh, when did it premiere? In 2017. 2017, so it's fairly recent. It's fairly uh, recent. Did it get some, did it get, it, did uh, it got some little bit of notice, right? And uh, We did a few of some sold out shows in North Carolina. We've done some work in Tennessee. Um, I've been, so I think it's doing well. I, it could do. I'm, but I just, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud that we can tell this story and have such great people backing it up. Dale Dittmanson, George Ellison, Susan Shoemaker, who's a producer with Ken, David Westcott, Steve Watts. All these people just, you know, they want to be part of telling the story. And Dale, um, Dale Stewart, and the list goes on and on. Um, well, we'll be, we'll be sure to show it at the, the Metal Lark Smoky Mountain Heritage Center, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there and then we'll go on the rocking on the porch afterwards okay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, so you know I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of Horace's work you know you mentioned camping the woodcraft you know I know that book from when I was growing up and I think it's considered one of the f- finest field guides ever written why do you think uh, made that happen coming from the point of, of he, his, as a writer, he knew how to organize it. And he, it took him, I would say, seven, eight, nine years to write this. Um, he had the skills. He had the ability to communicate. And he was already very well known as a writer prior to Campaign Woodcraft. So the publishers knew him. Um, and, it, and it's just a classic. And it, all, everything in there makes sense. But he also, within the context of the book, of telling us logically how to camp, he gives many, many life lessons. And if one carefully reads the book within setting up a tent, he'll give us a life lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So when you reread it and you go, ah, there's a nice. I, I do remember that. And that was, I think that was you know, part of what a young man you know, likes to read is sort of, you know, inspiration, right? And yes, there's humor stories like the mosquito and yeah. you know, the skunk. And so he puts a little bit of, um, Cap parts were known for dry humor. We're not like comedians, but we have a, a good sense. I think it's a dry humor. Um, I try to be funny, but I very much fail at it. Um, but it's the dry humor that he incorporated in Camping Woodcraft so brilliantly. 
and um, we can overlook, you know, we don't have the, the canvas tense necessarily unless one wants to classic camp, but it's the same concepts, the same theories to go, go ahead and, and go camping and go hiking, not how, and how do you protect your feet while you're hiking. He gives great advice on how to hike. Um, so it's just the, the great classic and it's been um, published again um, recently by Great Smoky Mountains Association. And with a forward by George Ellison, and it's just it's just brilliant. And our Southern Highlanders, which is another classic that he wrote. Yeah. And all these have been in print. Imagine Joseph; these books have been in print for constantly. Constantly. Twenties, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. It's, that's a good that's a good track run. Yeah. Northern Highlanders came out in 1913. It's never been out of print. Camping Woodcraft, I think it was 1907. It's they've always been in print. So you mentioned George Ellison, him and uh, and. Uh, uh, Janet McCue just wrote a biography that won the Thomas Wolfe Award for best work. I have that too. I brought my library down to. Wow. I like to give a shout out to where I am because um, in Hurricane Sally, our house had some damage to the roof and the roof was supposed to go on today, but of course it didn't. But my friend um, Scott Brumfield at Hellcat Studios opened up his studio to us tonight. Now, Hellcat comes from the military jet, the Hellcat. Right. So that's where I am right now. So I want to thank Hellcat and thank Scott. Um, here's and you, you'll notice the photograph. Right. Yeah. This is um, a wonderful biography, and they spent years working on this. Um, George first came out with his first Kephart piece in 1976. He has wow. given years and years of his life, and same thing with Janet. Years and years and years of their lives to preserving this legacy and telling the story of this most remarkable man. It's a, it's a pretty impressive award, so I guess it, it's a really wonderful read. And you say that can get it, that, you can get that at the the Great Smoky Mountains Association website, right? And, right, sure. and of course. Yeah, cool. On Amazon, I'm not sure. I haven't looked, but yeah, it's long, but holy smokes. And another book was recently published by, um, edited by George Frizzell and Mike Claxton. Now, this is a real long one. <laughs> 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 and this is called Horace Kephart Writings. And most of this is his, un, his lesser known writings. Yeah, he did a lot of magazine articles and things like that. He was uh, pretty prolific, I think. Yeah. I, with the help of George Frizzell, put in um, a, some. I helped with some of the writing. I write music and plays, and I'm good with scripts, but, you know, paragraphs, Joseph, mm, they're a little <laughs> So people uh, laugh and they think... Everybody, I, everybody finds their, their, their space in there. I write poetry, so... And website copy, so... <laughs> okay, anyway... <laughs> When we come back, we'll find that you don't you you don't you have more than one great explorer in your family, and we'll talk about that. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Libby Kephart Hargrave. So, Libby, you know, you, we've been talking about Horace Kephart, but you have a secret. You have another great explorer in your family, a family, Leonard Kephart, I think was your great uncle, I guess, brother to Horace, right? Um, Leonard was the third child. And uh, my great my grandfather was the fifth child. But I I like to digress for just a second and share a very funny text that my younger sister, who's the artist, just sent me. I think you'll you'll enjoy this. All right. So she's watching the show. She said, "Listening, great job. My thoughts on the healing aspect uh, of getting back or beyond is getting really exhausted hiking, followed by splashing that ice cold stream water." <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Not 
on, Joanne. <laughs> well, that's that's not dry humor. <laughs> um, so back to um. So my grandfather George um, was also a writer. He wrote a book called um, Campfires Rekindled. He was a hiker and explorer in his own way, his own right. And his sister Barbara wrote a wonderful book called um, Cock Shoes, which all is great. But Uncle Leonard, um, my great uncle, um, a remarkable man. I, I adored Uncle Leonard. I hope that his um, grand granddaughter Tootie and um, Richard, their grandson Richard, are, are able to listen tonight. Um, his daughter, Leonard's daughter, was Barbara Kephart Crane, and she has been one of the driving forces for me to help me in preserving not only the legacy of Horace Kephart, but of her father, Leonard Kephart. Leonard is credited as the first American to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Cool. Not a whole lot of people know about this, but they're going to, and that's all with the help of my friend, Dale Stewart. Um, in preserving, and I think you'll understand this, in preserving legacies like Horace and Laura, or my grandfather and and Leonard, it's important to find people that I can trust. I'm very protective of the Kephart name, and I, working with the people that in working with Ken, working with Dayton, it's such a good trust that we have. And then working with Dale Stewart on Uncle Leonard's story, it's a very it's a good bond that we have because you have to trust people who are going to put the stories out there. <clears throat> um, Uncle Leonard was sent to Africa through the Department of Agriculture to find grasses and grass seeds to bring back to the United States that we could use here. And I think it was like a seven or eight month expedition back in 1927. That's crazy. Wow. You know? Yeah. So, wow. <clears throat> I was uh, I visit Barbara quite often. I have not. Unfortunately, she's 97 now. I haven't seen her since COVID. I hope to get up there in a couple of weeks. Um, she had this wall, with, which I've seen many times over the years. I knew Uncle Leonard had gone to Africa. I did not know that he was the first one to climb Kilimanjaro until I read something that Cornell had put out. Because the Kepparts were not a braggadocious family, which is a good thing and not a good thing. You know, you yeah. know sometimes it's good to know he, he did what? <laughs> <laughs> So I, I'd seen this Africa collection for years, and then I was going through some of Barbara's things, and there's this black carry-on Pan Am, I think it's Pan Am Airlines bag, and she was, you know, giving me things to bring home and, and go through, and I open it up, and I'm going, holy smokes, these are his journals from his, wow. they, they hadn't been seen, I don't know how long, so Barbara read them, then she graciously gave them to me, knowing that everything would be donated to Western Carolina University. We're trying, we're working really hard to have a place for the Kephart kids now. Like I've given some of my grandfather's things and, but the journals, I mean, it's a step back in time. And it's also very, these journals are very important historically and culturally because the world, as we know, changes how we approach cultures from, you know, United States to Africa in 27, 1927 is a different world than like, um, and it's his journals are just rich with history, and so, it's exciting. So you're gonna make a documentary out of that as well, well right? I'm, I'm, those, I'm helping. I'm doing the, I'm transcribing letters. I'm, I'm the one just reading letters, teeny tiny, <laughs> very difficult to read letters. I mean, sometimes it'll take me an hour to get through a page, if not more. Um, and Dale Stewart is the one who's putting putting this together in a format that works for him with the audio and then with the 3D sound, it's going to be something, it's going to be something like we've never heard before. Um, oh, it's wow. not like there's a lion coming at you. There's going to be a lion around you. Um, it's very exciting what Dale's doing. Um, 
we donated to Western Carolina the pith helmet that Leonard wore in this expedition. Um, my sister Joanne, who did the boots, is the one who's who Dale is is commissioned to do the painting for the cover for the audio documentary. Well, that sounds like it's going to be a wonderful experience to come visit in the Western yeah. Carolina University or wherever it premieres. Right, absolutely. All right, so. Um, so let's finish up. There's a couple of things. Where can listeners find out more about you, your work, and upcoming plans? Oh well, after COVID, I'm I'm um, I'm actually going back into the recording studio soon. I've been writing, which is which is an exciting thing. It's um, I, I'm in, I'm, a, I'm in my mid sixties now, and I there's I've written some really really good songs. I used to record, and then I got married, and life changes. <laughs> And now I'm a grandma, and then you have hurricanes. We lost our house in 04 and Hurricane Ivan. So life is what it is. I still sing a lot, and I'm very grateful that my voice is still in good shape in my mid-60s. Um, I've always written music, and I've written plays, but now I'm, I'm, getting, I'm going back into the studio, hopefully in the next couple yeah. um, So that's – and I love studio work. I mean, it's um, – So is there a website? Is there a website that has any of this? No, no, tell no. Uh, on but we do have horsekeppart.com for all the horse kept part information. Um, and you want to do, uh, I think, uh, finish up with a little uh, a bit yeah. of, of sing, song, right? I would like to. So let me, I have to write the words down because I don't always remember them. You have about a minute before we okay. got to. So here we go. April 2, 1931, on a road near Cooper's Creek. Horace Kephart died that night, that fateful night in 31. Kep, your dream lives on in these mountains, in these hills, in the people who have found a place of refuge. Back beyond. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to have you here. That was beautiful. Thank you. And the story is beautiful. Um, so we will actually put information up on our site, gatewaytothesmokies.fun. For each episode, we put links and contact information. So I'll follow up with you to put that on our website. I want you to imagine a place evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant, with a chic Appalachian feel. A place for adventure and relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on the fire, and eat accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. Imagine a place with old-time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Metal Ark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Your Smoky Mountain Adventure starts with where you stay. Also want to mention that SmokiesAdventure.com is a sponsor of this program. It features information and listings about the Smoky Mountains, featuring hiking, wedding, venues, books, trail maps, resources. The emphasis of Smoky, Smokies Adventure, and that's plural, SmokiesAdventure.com, is outdoor recreation and outdoor life events like weddings and adventures. Along with providing information on lodging, family entertainment, events, honeymoons, and more. It is the inform leading information portal of the Smoky Mountains. This, this pro podcast is part of the talkradio.nyc network, which features live podcasts all week long. I recommend you listening to the podcast that comes after this one that explores New York. 
So you go from the mountains to urban adventures. Uh, and it's talkradio.nyc. We also have Facebook page. Um, it's um, it's uh, facebook.com slash gateway to the Smokies podcast, where you can see the live uh, uh, live streaming every Tuesday from 6 to 7, as well as previous episodes. And you get to see the video, the Zoom video there, to see all the things that we've been showing and, um, and, 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 um, and exploring. Next week, we will have... Um, David Bruin here, and we'll be exploring more aspects of the Smoky Mountains and the culture herein. And thank you for pre uh, uh, listening, and, and it's been a great show. Thank you. Bye.